Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. I'm joined by my man in Amsterdam. Welcome to the program, Ian. How are you doing, brother? Doing well, man. Doing well. I don't know why I decided to come to Amsterdam in the winter, but I did. <laughs> hey, speaking of our team members moving around, Taylor is in San Diego. Found some, I guess, some problems with our Valley Up product. Could you share some of the lessons that uh, we learned from Taylor his first week on the scene? Problems? I mean, geez. What isn't wrong? It's a brand new software startup. <laughs> yeah, so Taylor uh, decided uh, with us that it would make sense to go to San Diego and work with some of our early adopters there and and really build out this software. You know, we had essentially been creating it in a vacuum, Dan, over the last six months. Um, I think we had a decent MVP, but man, the difference it makes for us to be on the phone and interacting with our customers on site has just been a, a game changer. I can already tell version two uh, is going to be 10 times better than what we designed in the vacuum. And I'm sure uh, listeners can relate to this. It's just crazy how many assumptions you need to make at the beginning of a business. You know, it, it, this is where the trough of sorrow really begins because. At the beginning, you have your product or you have your sales page. There's a bunch of little troughs of sorrow that come along <laughs> during the building of a business. But the first one is radical. It's like when you take your, your thing to your customers and then it's all wrong. And even if it's just a little bit right, and you, you kind of get in the door and they're like, sure, yeah, you know, we'll sign up. We'll do business with you. And then, of course, it's all wrong or it starts breaking and this and that. And I remember, you know, with the valet spot, now with valet up, there's always that moment when you kind of come home and you're like, am I really even doing the right thing? Should I even even? And if you feel like that, that's normal. That's every business that we've launched. There's always some kind of major disaster at the beginning. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this episode. Speaking of uh, sort of preventing disasters, we had a nice talk before the podcast about annual review goals. We're going to link to our Dreamline episode, plus a great post that Chris Gillibo puts out every year called the Annual Review Series. And he actually included a spreadsheet this year, which I think is really helpful. So I'm going to link to that. Ian, I'm really looking forward to having a, a solid plan for 2014. I don't want to leave it on the table by letting it just happened to me. You know, I want to, I want to go after 2014 and uh, do some big things with our business. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. Yeah. We're cooking up some plans here. I hope it's our aggressive, most aggressive year yet. And, uh, inside of the DC, Dan, I don't know if you saw it last night, but I posted our 2013 year in review too. So hopefully if you haven't had a chance to check that out too. Yeah, it was wonderful. So speaking of reviewing, Ian, last week for the first time, we talked in depth about our first company, the valet spot, Dot com. By the way, our rankings are taking a tank. I'll just put this out there on the. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say uh, that domain might be changing in the next two weeks. So <laughs> I think uh, maybe it's could it could it be Tropical MBA users are, are sending spam to our site, or was it ourselves who caused the problem? <laughs> uh, good question. We've been we've been uh, digging around for a long time, but yes, we are starting to lose footing on rankings that we've had for years, and it's just unbelievable. You know, stories of uh, Google being in the worst shape 
of its uh, of its life in terms of serving up these uh, results. We're getting beat out by LinkedIn and Facebook. That's how you know you're not doing something right. So uh, we are trying to right ourselves. We're trying to get back on the path, but I don't know if it's going to be possible, Dan. We might just have to abandon ship. If you remember back in the day with Portable Bar Company, it used to be portablebarcompany.com, then it became theportablebarcompany.com. <laughs> yes, that is because uh, we uh, gamed the rankings but I, I think it was a necessary evil for us. Remember what we did, Dan? So we, we gamed the rankings. We got in front of a bunch of customers. We sold our first inventory. Uh, and then, of course, Google caught on. They penalized our site, and it was just decimated. So we started a new domain. Uh, that's not the case with the valet spot. This has been been a little troubling because uh, we've tried to stay on the white hat side of things. Um, but it seems to be going wrong for us at some, at some juncture. And I think we did the right thing with the portable bar company. I liked how aggressive we were, and we sold our first container. And then, hey, man, I would do that again with the valet spot. Spot. I mean, it just goes to show you how even, you know, when you wear your choir boy outfit, when I first moved to Saigon years ago, I remember, brother, writing articles dutifully and doing everything right and and watching it go from five to four to three and getting customers and how exciting that was. And and uh, now, you know, just taking a hit, man. Even, even when you do everything right for Google, you send a fruit basket every Christmas. It's like, they'll still just take you out. They'll still take <laughs> you out, man. Matt, Matt Cutts, just, he, he's gotten his soul. But I do want to uh, say one thing about it. And this is one thing that I'm really happy about with the valet spot is that our business isn't isn't really dependent on rankings in a lot of different ways. Yes, we acquired new customers yeah. uh, through organic, but w- you know we're still doing paid traffic over there, and we've got a great customer list and a great list of repeat buyers over at that um, at that property. And so you know, as things like this happen, it doesn't decimate your business, and I think that's the power of owning a brand. Ian, today we are going to talk about five e-commerce blunders. And I want to use this valet spot story to illuminate some of the things that we would do differently if we were going to start that or another brand just like it today. So people that are interested in e-commerce, specifically products, what would we do differently based on the ways in which we screwed up the valet spot? <laughs> so this is an appropriate intro. But first, let's just go, uh, let's pat ourselves on the back and talk about five things that we did right and that we're continuing to double down on these things. So the first one we have here is we went for relationship home runs. And this is this idea, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to frame it up, but one is to say the onstage test. Are you willing to be a leader in your industry? That sent us to things like conferences, to making cold calls, to influencers in the niche. No point in sitting on the sidelines. You know, if you're going to get into a niche, I recommend going straight to the top. Yeah, when we started the valet spot, and this is one of the things we did wrong too, but we'll go into that later. Uh, the competition was there, but it wasn't super strong. So we we felt confident that we could be the leaders in the industry. And I think, uh, you know, Dan, what we've learned over the last couple of years is no matter how strong the competition is, you should always feel like you can you can be the leader. In our case, like we felt like we could be the leaders because the competition was weak, but maybe that was just weak on our part. So um, I, I do think it was right thinking that we could be the leaders because we uh, we became the leader in the industry. But making sure you got stiff enough competition, that's important too. And I think it's cool what you've done with Valet Up is then reach out to those influencers and ask some of them to be on the board of advisors for this new startup. And uh, it's a very powerful thing to have some industry leaders advising you on a day-to-day basis. And there's no reason why any startup can't have this. And so I would encourage all the listeners to go right to the top. I mean, Michael Covell said it on this podcast. You look at the successful people in our community, like look at a John McIntyre who's having some of the best email copywriters in the world on his startup new podcast for email copywriting. Why not? Go right for the top. You have the opportunity. If it's worth getting into the niche, it's worth going to the top. Number two, we hired immediately. 
Um, I think we had this this interesting idea of, of location independent or bust. Ian, if, it, if, if the business wasn't going to fund a team that would allow us to leverage ourselves out of it, then we weren't going to do it. And this is advice I often give to people who they might have a small business and they're like, man, I really want to do the location independent thing. It's like, hey, you're a spreadsheet and a general manager away from it. And if you can't get that spreadsheet to work, then you need to walk and you need to find a business that can support it. So I'm really glad that we did that. Number three, we developed our products with our customers. When I looked at a lot of the iterations that we have to make for Valet Up and, and how much of a challenge that is, I remember when we go back to the original Valet Podium and the base was falling off the damn thing and the wheels were cracking and nobody wanted to assemble the thing, even though we thought everybody wanted to assemble it. And just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm glad we didn't spend extra time before we got this in front of people. So any amount of time it takes you, you know, when, when we went to the conference I went to the conference, uh, the Valley Parking Association conference, with just a spec sheet and a photo of the prototype, as if it were production. And already we're starting to develop and iterate this product with our customers rather than trying to be clever behind the scenes. Yeah, developing with the customers is really important. This is something that I said on the podcast uh, last week and on uh, Terry Lynn's podcast. And some of the hardest conversations that you can have, Dan, are the ones that basically you call your customers no matter what. And we called our customers after we sent out the first batch and the fifth batch, and we still call all of our customers follow-up calls to see how the product's doing. And, and those can be scary calls because you never know what's going to happen, or sometimes you do know what's going to happen. In the case of our first product, uh, I knew exactly what they were going to say, and I was terrified because I knew that I would have to jump into action and I would actually have to do something about it. But you know that is just the most valuable feedback that you can have. Take Modern Cat Designs for example. One of the really hard things about that niche for us is that uh, it's a it's a B two C niche, but we never get to interact with our customers. The only time we hear from our customers is if they have a problem. And as you know, Dan, a lot of the times when they have problems, they don't even contact you in the first place. So the cool thing about B2B is that uh, you basically have the right to call your customer anytime you want because your customer in B2B is really invested in having you make the best product because that's what helps their business run better. So I, I'm really thankful for in, in B2B having that kind of relationship and, and, and being able to have a conversation with your customers on a regular basis. A lot harder in B2C. Number four thing that we did right was we took Jam relatively seriously. And, and, and that's this element of rip, pivot, and Jam. It's once you've got some kind of market validation, you've got positive feedback, you've got people buying prototypes, you've got people opting into whatever you're doing, then push the business with any means necessary. And, you know, Ian, we've been talking a little bit, have we been getting softer on the jam phase of products because trying to figure out whether things fit in the context of our business or whatever. At the beginning, it was like, hey, this thing's going to be a winner. We need to get investment money. We need to quit our jobs. We need to run, 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 run. And uh, I love that intensity. I love the courage that that we displayed at the very beginning. And I think it was a big deal for us to get off the ground quicker than had we done it conservatively after we got market validation. So in the case of the valet spot, the moment that we saw the conversion rate on our first PPC campaign, people buying that prototype and we made all those, we made all the refunds, we basically said, all right, you're quitting your job. We're getting a bunch of money. We're going to buy the container and we're, we're off to the races. And I think that that was a smart thing to yeah, do. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe these days, Dan, we're getting a little bit complacent, right? It's like a, you, you 
putting food on the table, uh, paying people's salaries, and and everything's going well. But I think you're right. I, I think it makes sense to jam as, as hard as possible. You know, one story about a jam as it relates uh, uh, to the valet spot is one of the things, the, the worst thing that you could do is is you could script your cash flow in a business like that, right? Because it's very, your, your inventory, it's, it's a hard business to run in terms of cash flow because you've always got inventory out, you've got employees that you're paying, you've got net terms, things like that. And so one of the worst things that can happen is, is uh, killing your cash flow, right? But besides that, I feel like you should jam as, as much as possible because it, as long as you don't screw up your cash flow, you should be okay. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're delaying the inevitable. You know, even if it goes wrong, you want to know as soon as possible. So you just want to push things to a fail point. It's like, you know what would drive me crazy? crazy is if we had an idea for a product that was fully fleshed out like the amount of time from that idea to the time when it's in our warehouse would drive me nuts because that's purgatory right (laughs) you want to get that thing in there and in business as fast as possible so you know i would always do things like you know for product guys out there you know i'm going to make the hair stand up on your back a little bit i would order production before i'd approve the prototype because I figure at least they're going to start buying materials. And if I have any design changes, I'll do that on the run. And just little things like that. Anything I could do to speed up the process of getting that product in my warehouse so I could be in business. Yeah, that's one of the things that we used to do uh, back in the day. We do a little less of that uh, these days because uh, you know we have a, our customers expect a certain level of quality and consistency from us, Dan. And I think that they're willing to wait a little bit longer. But I definitely think that that's a great strategy uh, right out of the gate. Number five, we did everything ourselves and we had an understanding of the minute aspects of everything. A lot of people you know, been saying on the internet nowadays, like do things that don't scale. And I think we definitely did nothing that scaled at the beginning. We did everything by hand. And um, sometimes I see, you know, when people don't understand what's going on in their business or they're not capable of it at the beginning, they don't have that granular understanding, I just see red flags. You know, there's there's this interesting dichotomy that happens in a lot of successful startups is you have the high-level vision, but you also, you know, every single detail of what's going on in the business. And those details, they come back to bite you in the ass if you don't understand them. Yeah, Dan, in the beginning, we didn't even know what scale was. I mean, <laughs> we didn't, we, we weren't really even prepared to hire people, right? It was just like, okay, Dan, uh, me and you, we're going to work in this business and we're just going to run as fast as we can and we're going to see what happens, right? I mean, I don't think on day one, we actually planned to hire anybody or anything like that. It was just kind of an experiment for us. And so we did everything. Literally, we worked on the website, we built the podiums, uh, we took customer service calls, we ordered the inventory, we designed the products. I mean, every single thing. And of course, that wasn't scalable. Um, Of course, once we started to get a little bit of revenue, we started to understand the positions that we might hire for. And actually, the first hire that we made was for uh, sales and customer service. But uh, that guy, Alistair, who still works with us today, actually did the warehousing stuff as well. So even him back in the day was doing things that didn't scale. And, and this, to me, there's something, there's some meat behind it, which is this understanding the knowledge that's, or building the knowledge rather, that's valuable to your client base. So look, like for our products, it does matter what kind of weld you use on the back drawer of the tip jar. It matters. And if that weld sucks, so does the product, and then the customers don't buy our stuff. So if you're outsourcing that knowledge, I mean, that's what great businesses are built on, is that granular understanding of what makes a great product. And so I'm glad that we understood those things at the beginning. And because we did, then we can bake that into our team as, and we can scale out of that. But at the very beginning, I mean, this is what I'm trying to expound upon or try to just be very clear about. Is like I see so many people building businesses that are just mediocre. The product isn't the best. 
you know, it's one thing to say, I want to be on the stage, you know, in five years, I want to pass the on stage test. Well, the, the way you're going to get on stage is by having a great product. And that's by understanding what kind of weld you need that's going to last for five years. Because if your welds start breaking at two years, they're not going to invite you to the conference on year number four. So that's what I mean in particular. Like, you know, you don't have to do everything. But I think in particular focusing on product and understanding like what's going to set it apart is a critical part to getting a business off the ground. All right. So what did we do wrong? This is, this is the big list now. This is the fun part. This is one we talk about. So let's start with number one, Ian. We talk about this a lot. We feel like we would not select the valet spot if we were going to start all over again. And this is weird, right? Because you, a lot of times there's like there's survivor's bias, right? Where you go back and say, well, it, was, it worked out, so it was the right thing to do. And, and it, we kind of feel like, well, maybe we would have done it differently. Part of the reason was is that the valet parking market is pretty small. And so if you're going to spend five years of your life building something, you kind of cap out. You know, you want a small enough market that you can be the leader, that you can get a foothold, but you want a big enough market that's going to allow you to grow. And I'm not quite so sure that our time has been the best invested in the valet parking niche. For example, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have started the portable bar company instead of the valet spot. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I think you're probably right in terms of selecting a, a bigger niche. Maybe even more importantly than uh, selecting a market that's big enough, Dan, is maybe selecting a market that you feel like you can predict its growth or where it's going. Uh, that's one of the other things that we um, did wrong and we didn't really consider with the valet spot is where is the market going? Uh, is, it, is it a rising tide? Are we going to ride with that tide? Or is it a dying market? You know, And I think that that actually might even be more important than, um, or I should say it goes hand in hand with selecting the right marketplace is, is where is that marketplace going? You know, Google's not only going to take away our rankings, but they're going to take away our customers with those driverless cars. Yeah. I mean, that's... We're <laughs> totally screwed. <laughs> it's true. You know, I thought about that the other day. I was like, well, what's going to happen first? Are podiums going to disappear? Or what? You know, it's like, well, no, everybody's just going to have self-parking cars. That's what's going to kill the valet parking industry. Yep. Yep. We're just uh, threats from all angles, brother. But the good news is like, I feel like that's about 10 years out still. So should be okay. Number two, not parlaying our initial successes into new niches fast enough. I mean, this is a tricky one. These are, these are so hard to go back and, and do we do the right thing? I don't know. You know, we were really slow to take the success from the valet spot and to graft it onto something else. For example, you had a vision for this software, Valet Up, two years ago. What were we doing two years ago? We were busy? What, <laughs> were we on the beach? What was happening? What <laughs> What were we waiting for? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely busy. So there's something that happens, right? And it's like, look, if you want to be the best at something, you can't spread yourself too thin. So I, I think I'm thankful for that. I think we re we really focused a lot on on the product um, and on the market and on the customers, and that allowed us to win. And so I think that that's a good thing. But at the same time, I think you do have to dedicate some resources to what you see as the future and what you see as your 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 rip pivot and jam, so to speak. And so yeah, we had the idea for the software two years ago easily, um, and there was a guys already doing it uh, in the industry, and we thought, oh, that's interesting. The problem for us, Dan, and this is something that we've only recently started to solve over the last two years, is we didn't really have the network to pull a project off like that. We didn't have anybody on our team that. Uh, managed or developed software. And so we're just starting to run in the circles uh, with people that do. And so that's presenting us with more opportunities. And fair enough. And I was saying to you that maybe we're getting soft because at the beginning we would have been like, F that, we'll make it happen. 
But now we're like, that doesn't really fit in the context of what we do. And, you know, <laughs> you know I don't know if the corporate board's going to approve of that maneuver. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if maybe it is the right thing. With the focusing on the one hand, I'll tell you this. It was really a nice move that we started this podcast. One of the best we've made. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's more valuable, delivering valet parking podiums to people or, you know, helping people start businesses? Well, help, helping people start businesses is a big marketplace too. And, that, and there's a lot of stories that are needed there. And we got so much benefit out of, you know, growing this community and, and having so many new friends and stuff like that. So that was a parlay that was successful. I like this idea of using, you know, the resources that you've built and trying to multiply them, trying to license them out to different cash flows, find out where else the things that you've already created are valuable, so to speak, and, and to sort of multiply the value you get. I think we did that with, you know, Portable Bar Company, but just probably two years too late. Yeah, probably. I think you're right about that. So just to be specific, you know, the Portable Bar Company manufactures with a lot of the same processes and techniques that the Valet Spot does. And so it's a very easy transition. You know, we didn't really understand the market. We still don't really understand the market. But in terms of manufacturing and design and quality control and all that stuff, right up our alley, right? So those, I feel like, Dan, those are the kind of rip, pivot, and jams that you need to make sooner. Yes, we were definitely two years late on that. Now, the parlaying our success into the podcast, that's a little bit more tricky, right? You don't know exactly how many of your resources that's going to take. You don't know exactly what the end game is going to be on that. Um, so I feel like that's a little bit more tricky. Um, but in, in terms of, of taking your resources that are clearly defined and, and pivoting them into another niche, yeah, definitely should have done that two years ago. I'm um, speaking of, uh, you know, that a commenter on last week's episode mentioned, you know, how we could maybe take our valet podiums and like move them to these niche and that niche. That's exactly what we're talking about. And that was a great piece of feedback. So by the way, commenting this episode is at tropicalmba.com slash e-commerce mistakes. Mistake number four or number three, rather, we waited too long to implement processes. We were just the California kids who believed in beanbags and we believed in Red Bull and we believed in smart people changing the world or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's what we believed in. And uh, that's just not as good. That's, that's, that's all good. That's gravy, though. That's not what a business is. A business is processes articulated and executed on a consistent basis. It doesn't matter how good the judgment of the people is that are doing it. That's just gravy. Yeah, I mean, again, at the beginning of our business, Dan, it didn't really even occur to us like, that we're going to start hiring people. So you and me are just like doing things as fast as we can for 14 hours a day. Uh, why would we ever write anything down? Because I'm just going to be doing this for the next two years, you know? I mean, that's yes. how short-sighted we were. So we we never anticipated, we never planned on success. We never anticipated for growth. But the bottom line is, from the beginning, if you pick a good niche, if you pick a marketplace that you think is going to be successful, plan on success, start writing down from day one your process. Because um, now, Dan, we have hundreds of, of, of documents for our process. And that's super valuable. You know, in the new year, Dan, I think we're getting ready. And I haven't actually even told you this. So let's just announce it right here on the podcast. <laughs> we're getting ready to, uh, I think, hire another uh, part-time customer service person, maybe full-time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, sorry, sorry about that news. You know the process that we, the processes that we spent, uh, we we put a lot of emphasis in 2013 on building processes, and that is going to pay off dividends because when this next person comes in in January, it's not going to be a six month training period. It's going to be a couple months. Read the documents. Let's get up to speed real quick. Absolutely, and you know, and this parlays into our fourth point. We're mitigating this mistake, which is that we never thought about who would want to buy our business. But I can tell you this. We have an owner absent business. 
That's for sure, because me and you are absent, bro, quite a bit. Not mentally, I mean, but physically, yes. <laughs> I mean, we do not have to be there in order for this business to get executed. That's in part due to the great staff and the great processes they've developed. And because of the mindset since day one, which is that like that initial spreadsheet. If it can't afford a team, it's not worth working on. Um, but I wish at the beginning, you know, I still think that the valet spot is a difficult business to sell. And I would love for someone to tell me the opposite, but I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. I think it's in purgatory. I think it's too big for an individual who wants to buy themselves a lifestyle business to kind of cut that check. That's a gnarly check, right? The three times EBITDA check. Now, I think it's too small to be acquired. You know, who wants to acquire a business at that level. I mean, I think let's talk about the acquisition thing real quick. And and so this is this is to the point here, which is when you look at an acquisition, right? You look at so there's got to be it's either a financial or a strategic acquisition, right? And financial, like you said, okay, who can pay that check? Well, plenty of large companies could, but the question is, it's not a significant change to their bottom line that they're going to want to. I mean, it's not worth the accounting team you'd have to send out to do the analysis, right? There's that. And also when you look at like the IP involved in it, like there's a, we hardly have any IP. We've got, we've got our designs, which I think are superior to everybody else's on the market. And, you know, we've got the drawings and stuff like that. None of this stuff is patented, right? It's just a metal box for the most part. And and that's the tough part for the owner operator sales. I mean, a lot of people are going to look at the three times EBITDA and they're going to say, well, I could invest half of that just ripping these guys off. Right. So I think that that's the math you're going to do, too. I mean, how defensible is it? You'd be buying the brand, you'd be buying the customers and stuff. And I don't know, that's a tough sell for people. Yeah, I think, you know, Dan, the, the, the truth might be that, like, there's a lot more people that are more experienced than us at, at acquiring customers. I think, you know, the truth and what I've heard, well, maybe not the truth, but what I've heard over the past couple of years is like, yeah, you guys are crazy. Do you realize how many hours you've spent into building this company? Like, I'm an older guy or whatever. I've got another business. I can just bolt this on to my business. It's worth it to me to pay for the customers or to pay for the products or whatever. I don't want to spend four years in development like you guys did. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this this whole buying selling business. So the question is, is, is how could we improve this? How could we have thought more about, you know, what would we have changed, in other words? I mean, I think to me the biggest thing is, is the small niche thing is that if we would have gotten ourselves in more of a mid-range growth niche, then there's more strategic opportunity for someone else to acquire you, right? Exactly. So that would be my biggest thing is that it's, you know, if you're going to niche down like we say, that's good advice for traction's sake, but make sure that that's an on-ramp into a niche that can sustain your future growth, whereas this niche, it just seems like the he- the the ceiling's a little bit low. Yeah, for example, you know, a strategic partnership, like uh, in in and talk about why there's not enough scale. Like a strategic partnership would be there's these guys, and I think this niche is is slowly dying too. But uh, there's these guys that make these parking booths, right? You've seen these before. It's like um, yeah, it's yeah. where the attendant sits, right? Those guys, their their products are far more expensive than ours. They manufacture far more many of of them than we do. Um, and but a lot of the manufacturing process is kind of similar, right? And so, like in terms of strategic uh, buyout, like those guys might be interested, but the problem is those guys don't really have enough scale either, right? So it's this whole scale problem. It's this whole size of the size of the industry problem. Who knows what we do? Maybe we can get some feedback from the great community of listeners on that one. Number five, made some poor technology decisions. I feel like you know QuickBooks. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> that. 
<laughs> investing in this new QuickBooks. I mean, you you look at things like these panacea solutions, right? Like you're going to, is panacea the right word? I don't know. Uh, where, where you go in and you get mass 90 or whatever, and it like tells you what your business is doing. And I feel like we've done a good job of avoiding that kind of bait, you know, implementing these gigantic software solutions and trying to, you know, like that's going to make our business work. But on the other hand, I feel like because, you know, we, we're so weary with that stuff or wary, we shy away from doing things like optimizing our cart. Like I think everybody needs to take a look at their cart and ask yourself, are you doing follow-up email sequences with people that have checked out? Are you doing split tests, you know, uh, on your cart checkout? I mean, that's the heartbeat of your business, right? Your online business. And I think because that's a technology thing, uh, one thing that we did that was really great early on in the day when we were still in Drupal, we created this plugin that allowed users who selected a valet podium to add extra items onto that pallet for free shipping. Because we knew that if you ordered a valet podium, we could basically just dump a whole other, a bunch of extra stuff onto that pallet. Well, that was a complex technology. Not, I mean, for our perspective, it was terrifying. But I'm glad that we were brave enough to invest in that. And I feel like we should have done more of that kind of stuff and less of the big let's get QuickBooks and Fishbowl and, and, and kit out the whole business kind of thing. So I'm kind of on the fence on the point. You know, I'm not sure. You know, I think part of um, part of what happened was like, uh, you know, I think back in the day, like we had some business mentors um, that would like blow it out on technology solutions, you know, thinking that they would like grow into them. And I think that that like made me like really weary of a lot of this stuff. So it's like, oh yeah, if we get this new inventory accounting system, it's only $20,000, but we're going to make back our returns when we grow to 5 million next year, but we're only 1 million this year or whatever, you know? Yeah. Red flag central, bro. Red flag central. And I think what happened for us is like, we decided to take a more conservative approach on things like that. And it, it might mean that, yeah, we made some poor technology decisions. Uh, back in the day, the, the, the poorest technology decision I think that we made, Dan, was uh, uh, using QuickBooks, actually, our, our inventory system is, is is fairly complex with the inventory that we have, and I'm interested to see if anybody out there has better solutions. But so far, what we're on is QuickBooks. Everybody tells us that with the level of inventory that we have right now, we need to go to Fishbowl or some third-party service. It's not really sorted out. I'm looking forward to maybe uh, somebody figuring this out in the future. But man, it's 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 tough. I'm so glad that we can uh, talk about this business. This episode, you can tell how ambivalent and in, in the thick of all this is. So this is like sort of a strategy phone call, maybe more than a podcast. I hope it was enjoyable to the listeners and you got some value out of it. If you want to comment, ask us questions about it, it's tropicalmba.com slash e-commerce mistakes. One mistake that we didn't make, Ian, was uh, we made cold calls and we encouraged the audience to do so as well. And to join us next Thursday morning, 8 a.m., Eastern Standard Time on the Tropical MBA podcast. Thanks for joining us. Ian, I'll see you next week. Yeah, buddy. Go make a cold call. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.